When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos, 6.30 Chad. It is great news today. Legendary coach Claire Drake going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Huge contributions to the world of hockey and at the University of Alberta. In terms of the U of A, 28 seasons, six national titles, 17 Canada West titles. He was coach of the year four times in both the conference and at the national level. And don't forget that interesting little tidbit, the only man to coach a team to the football and hockey university titles in the same school year back in uh, 67, 68. So amazing news, positive news. I think certainly long overdue news for everybody here in Edmonton and area. Claire Drake will go in the Hall of Fame along with Tamo Solani, Paul Correa, Dave Andrichuk, Mark Recchi, Danielle Goyette, and fellow builder. Uh, Drake's going in the builder category. Jeremy Jacobs going in as well. The actual ceremony will be uh, November 13th in Toronto. We'll have some chat about Claire Drake tonight from Ian Herbers, former Golden Bears coach, now an assistant with the Edmonton Oilers. Howie Draper will check in as well. Uh, Howie wrote a uh, master's paper on Claire Drake. How about that? Played for him, and he's been a very successful coach with the U of A Panda. So that's a big story today that we'll get to as we move along. Thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on 630 Ched. It's 607. A reminder, you can always text 630-630. The open line number, 780-496-0063. You can follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. And you can email the show, Inside Sports at 630jed.com. Thrilling victory for the Edmonton Eskimos. One of the heroes of that game was Brandon Zilstra. He's going to join me later on tonight as well, but bad news for the Eskimos as well today. J.C. Sherritt will be out for the season with a ruptured Achilles. There's been a few of those with the Eskimos and around the CFL in recent seasons. Jason Moss will join Morley Scott, the Eskimos coaches show from 7.30 to 8. Oilers Draft on the weekend, we had it for you. Kyler Yamamoto, young man playing for Spokane, sixth leading scorer in the WHL last season. He was the Oilers' first-round pick. They went with some size 
in rounds three through seven. They didn't have a second-round uh, pick. They took an Edmonton goalie, Stuart Skinner, in the second round out of the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And uh, he's a guy who's going to be at the uh, Canadian World Junior Summer Camp this year, along with uh, another Oilers uh, draft pick and another Edmonton uh, native as well, Carter Hart. So uh, three Edmonton connections to the goal, three of the four goalies going to the summer camp. Now, Oilers news from today. Guess who's coming back? And this will be a breakaway shorthanded Cassian to give Edmonton the lead. He does! Rishad scores! Zach Cassian has made it 1-0 Edmonton. A huge hit by Zach Cassian on Brendan Dillon. And the crowd explodes. Cassian once again a major factor in the first period. Oh, a huge hit by Cassian. <laughs> he absolutely belted Logan Couture. And it's shoveled up by Latestu. Cassian's got a breakaway to the net. Rich Hunt scores! 3-0 Edmonton! Listen to this crowd! Zach Cassian! So Cassian, who was once vilified in Edmonton a few years ago after breaking Sam Gagne's jaw, now a fan favorite. He's back. Three-year deal. Total of $5.85 million, so he'll make $1.95 per season. Yeah, well, I think it's no secret that the team we have led by Connor is on the uprise, and I think it's a no-brainer um, to, to stay in Edmonton. Uh, the city of Edmonton is unbelievable. Uh, the fan base is awesome with the new rink and the team we have. Um, it's pretty much a no-brainer. Um, I, was, I was very happy to, to get this deal done. All right, so Cassian... You know, obviously, part of this sort of next generation of the Oilers, if you want to call it that, and I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is that the core of the team has definitely changed. Everything revolves now around Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Dreisaitl, by the way, one of four Oilers getting a qualifying offer today. Joey Laleja, Dylan Simpson, and Bogdan Yakimov, the others. The Oilers do not qualify David Musil and Henrik Samuelsson, so they become unrestricted free agents. But you got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl as the, the main guys that the team revolves around. Now I think you see a, a secondary orbit of players like Talbot, Clefbaum, Larson, Lucic, Cassian, Latestu, Maroon, and... You know, it certainly changed a lot. Taylor Hall was traded. Jordan Eberle was traded. Guys who used to be in primary roles with the team. And now that's sort of changed. Now, I do think Nugent Hopkins is going to remain an oiler here. I don't see him getting traded this summer. But it just shows how things have changed since McDavid came on board. McClellan was hired as the head coach. Peter Shirelli uh, hired as the general manager. So, And, of course, Jordan Eberle was traded for Ryan Strom. But Cassian has been very popular with the fans, and he feels the Oilers are indeed headed in the right direction. Yeah, most definitely. I think Windsor's a big hockey community. There's a lot of uh, current guys. There's a lot of ex-NHLers. Uh, everyone I speak with um, is high praise for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, it's, it's, it's awesome to be a part of it, to be completely honest, Bob. It's one of those things where um, Edmonton obviously hasn't been the great, greatest team for some time, but um, they're clearly on the uprise, and it all starts with Connor. And then you have guys like Leon and Patty and Leach come in, and um, you have a boy like Calvin. The list goes on. Um, it's, it's a true character team, and everyone gets along really well. And it's one of those things where uh, hopefully we only get better. Obviously, we can't expect just to be good, but uh, everyone in that room wants to be good, and that's, that's the positive with the team. We want to come back. We're going to be hungry this year. 
Well, I think they will after the way the season ended against Anaheim. I know there's some questions about the moves and the Secker injury. I'll say this. I, I don't think the Oilers got any worse last week. I think the Strom for Everly trade makes them a little different. And a big part of that was the cap space. I know for some reason he's a heavily debated player. I think Chris Russell is a good, reliable hockey player. I know for a fact he is well-liked and well-respected in the dressing room and has been a valuable mentor to some of the younger defensemen, and I think that does have value on the team. I, I, I Right now, if I were to look at the Oilers, I, I say they're probably pretty similar to the team that finished eighth overall, and I think they can finish in that range again. Are they necessarily going to jump up into the top four or five in the league? I don't know if they're quite there yet. I think last year the Oilers probably overachieved a little bit, and this was maybe a more realistic year for them to finish into the top ten. I do think they can do that again. Cassian, meanwhile, hoping he can add a little more offense next season. I think I can score for sure. Yeah. I think I'm not on the Edmonton Oilers. They're not expecting me to score 20, 30 goals, but um, there's no doubt in my mind I've done it that I can get 10 to 15 goals a year. That's for sure what I shoot for each year. And um, last year, if it wasn't for, for some of the disallowed goals, I think I'd be right around that mark. So I feel I can chip in offensively. But at the same time, I know what, what Edmonton wants me to do. I know what Edmonton needs me to do. And um, for our team to be successful, um, that's what I have to do. Well, Cassian can skate. He can play with energy. He's not afraid to play a little bit nasty. The characteristic he was reviled for when he wasn't an Oiler, now part of the reason he's loved. He mentioned the offense seven goals this past season, you know, three or four disallowed, so he could have been in that double-digit range. He had 17 points or 17 assists to finish with 24 points on the season. Cassian on Oilers now with Bob Stoffer earlier today, so you can get the full interview on 630Ched.com. A lot to talk about today. You can text 630-630. As I mentioned, Jason Moss in studio with Morley Scott from 730 to 8. I'm going to interview Brandon Zilstra. We have plenty to get to about Coach Claire Drake, who's going to the Hockey Hall of Fame. But when we get back, we'll talk to another coach a guy you got to know well used to be with the Edmonton Oilers organization he was the Oilers interim coach for half a season we'll catch up with Todd Nelson when we get back inside sports on 630 chat this is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers and you're listening to inside sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers radio 630 chat Thanks a lot for tuning in. Our next Eskimos broadcast is on Friday. They play Montreal at the Brick Field at Commonwealth Stadium. Six o'clock countdown to kick off the game at eight. The Eskimos winning that thriller on Saturday night. One of the heroes, Brandon Zilster, will join me in about half an hour. Thanks for coming along for the ride tonight. I was in Chicago from Wednesday until, well, what did I leave? Uh, I left. I, I left I, I Chicago, everybody. I learned a new language. Uh, I left Chicago early yesterday morning. Was going on about an hour and 15 minutes of sleep from Saturday to Sunday uh, after attending uh, a Def Leppard concert that was definitely not in Chicago. Location called Tinley Park, Illinois, where uh, it would kind of be like saying a concert was in Edmonton, but then it was in a field by Wobman. Like, it is, it is a ways out. And uh, I, maybe I, I might save the full story about the trans, the uh, transport situation for another day this summer. But let's just say it was not easy. It was, it was neither easy nor cheap to get to and from 
but the show was worth it, of course. We're going to bring in Todd Nelson in about two minutes here, but Jared's on the open line first. Jared, how's, how's it going? Good, Reed. How are you? Doing quite I well. I a quick comment on the, the Calgary Flames trade sure. for uh, Travis Hammond. And, you know, you look at the defenses now of Anaheim, uh, Calgary, and Nashville, they're probably the top three in the NHL. So you got to look at guys like Sekera and Russell. Would they be considered a third or fourth defenseman on one of those teams, or would they be considered a fifth or sixth defenseman? And my concern now with the Oilers going forward is they're going to have to beat likely two out of those three teams in the playoffs, if not all three of them. And the question now for Shirelli, I think, is is he going to have to bring in another better defenseman, or can is that defense he has good enough to compete against these other teams? Well, that's the, I mean, that's a good question. I, I mean, I know some people wanted something else to happen with the defense or the Oilers to be in on Hamannick. Look, the Oilers can't be on every in on every single player that gets traded, and, and they'd already made a deal with the Islanders. I think Calgary did well. I mean, I think Mike Smith will, will help, uh, and clearly Hamannick has, has made them better, and, and the Oilers are going to suffer without Sekera. Now, I think Sekera would be... Sekera's pretty good. Like, I... I He's probably he's not better than Giordano, but I'd put him up there with. He's like he's pretty solid, you know. Like I don't think he'd be Calgary's fifth defenseman. Uh, he's I think he'd be a middle pairing guy with Calgary, like he is here, because I think Larson and Clefbaum have clearly become the number one pair. No, Calgary did well, but but I just think Jared, it doesn't mean it's a it's a disaster for the Oilers. I mean they no, have some pretty good players. No, I'm not saying it's a disaster, but I'm saying it's, those are three very good defenses that are out there that, that the other sports are going to have to compete against, not only in terms of trying to beat them one-on-one, but getting on them in, in the forecheck. So Fair comment. It's going to be very, very competitive uh, Western Conference this year, to say the least, Reed. Fair comment, Jared. Thanks for calling, buddy. Good night. That is Jared, 780-496-0063. Well, a couple of weeks ago, this man won the Calder Cup. AHL championship as the head coach of the Grand Rapids Griffins, a man you know well from his time with the Oilers organization, and I think a man most of you like quite a bit as well. Pleased to welcome Todd Nelson back to Inside Sports. Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing fine, Reed. How are you? I'm doing great, and let me be the latest person to congratulate you on winning the Calder Cup, the AHL championship. You beat Syracuse in six. How did it feel? I mean, I know you've won that trophy before. You've won it as a player and an assistant, which is a pretty cool accomplishment. But what was it like to take a team there as a head coach? Well, it was pretty special. You know what? Um, you know, I was born in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. That's always going to be my home. But my second home is uh, Grand Rapids. I've, I've owned a house here since 1996. And so I have strong ties to West Michigan. I also coached and played in Muskegon, which is just 40 miles down the road. So I have a lot of friends here, and uh, to win a championship is really special, but to do it at home, it's an unreal feeling. You know, Todd, you told me something once um, when you were coaching in Edmonton. It wasn't during an interview, um, but I'm, I'm comfortable bringing it up here because it definitely applies to this situation. And, and you said, Reed, the team that wins the championship, you got to have skill and all that kind of stuff. But he's, But you said you need a team that enjoys being around each other because they don't want the season to end because they they like being around each other and they want to keep going to work to the rink and playing for each other do you still feel that way and did you capture that with grand rabbits this season 
Absolutely. You know what? Uh, this year's team was so close. Uh, they are so unified in that dressing room. Um, you know, they, were, they did things together away from the rink. Uh, they enjoyed each other's company. And like I said before, if you get uh, your players to care more about other players, like, the other players, you'll have success. And that's what happened. You know, we had a great leadership group in the room, uh, some good, solid veteran guys. But, you know, also our second-year players, the guys like Pertuzzi really took a step, uh, Robbie Russo. And then when you look at our young group, I think we had six rookies in the lineup. Uh, four of those guys were captains on their respective teams uh, before they came to us. So we had excellent leadership. Uh, the room was really tight, and I firmly believe that's what got us through game six because we were down 3-2 to two going into the uh, third period, and Syracuse is such a good hockey team. We didn't want to go to game seven, and uh, the guys pulled together and were able to, to get two goals and hold them off at the end. But uh, a very tight-knit group, and I believe that if we weren't that tight, we probably wouldn't have got it very far. So what, what, how have you had a coach, how, how do you as a coach help create that unity? I mean, you need the players and you need the buy-in, um, but, you know, a coach can sometimes set the tone. And, and I know that the half season you were here with the Oilers, I think you focused on that quite a bit too because it was kind of a downbeat team, and, and, and I think you helped inject some energy into the club. So how, how do you as a coach try to help build that unity? Well, first off, um, you know, if I want my my dressing room to be unified, our coaching staff has to be the same way. And, um, you know, I had three assistants working with me, Bruce Ramsey, Ben Simon, Mike Knuble, and we all brought something different to the table. But, it, but at the end of the day, we we're very unified. And, uh, you know, as a coaching staff, the message was, let's come to the rink and be positive every day. Um, obviously, there's going to be bad days, and you have to hold people accountable. But I think it starts with us. And I think communication is key with our players. Not only um, the drills we do and the system work we do, but also get to know them on a personal basis. And, uh, you know, if, if somebody's parents are in town, I want to meet them. So we get basically their support system way for the rink invested as well. Uh, so that's why it's very important that I like to meet um, the wives and girlfriends and get to know them on a personal level. So the guys feel invested, but also the uh, support staff is very invested. And constant communication is key. I think that. You have to develop trust and respect. Uh, I think you have to earn it. Um, they have to earn my trust, and I have to earn theirs. And that's simply what it comes down to is good communication, um, having a, a family-first attitude that, at the rink where the guys want to come to the rink and work hard. And that's what I try to create with all my teams, and that's what I try to do in Edmonton. I think uh, the atmosphere uh, got tighter. I thought... Uh, I'll put, I'll put it to you this way. When I first got there, there's about three or four guys eating lunch together on one side of the room, and then it was, it was kind of clickish. And then by the end of the season, or about maybe a month left, you saw 14, 15 guys eating lunch together. And so I try to create that atmosphere. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but uh, good communication with the player and showing them that I care uh, really goes a long way. And so that's that's simply how I do it. Um, you know, every day is different, but we try to get. Uh, to know, to know the players on a personal level. Well, that's that's a great explanation. That was really good. Todd Nelson joining us tonight inside sports on 630. Chad Grand Rapids Griffins head coach. They just won the Calder Cup. Of course, you all knew Todd in 14-15 uh, when he was the Oilers interim head coach for the last 51 games of the season. Todd, I mean, you were in the Oilers uh, pro, in the Oilers system, I guess. You were coaching Oklahoma City, and then you got that half year uh, with the Oilers. So you were no stranger to the fans here and, and certainly to the organization. 
And it's interesting for me, you know, hosting a show like this and often talking to fans, how much respect they have for you and just how much, doggone it, they like you. Uh, is that still kind of flattering to hear that about uh, Oilers fans? It's very flattering. And I got to tell you, I went into a tough situation and uh, just to get the support from not only the fans, but the media were really good with me. And, um, you know, I, I'm Todd Nelson. I'm not going to try to be somebody else. And uh, I'm a pretty laid-back guy. Um, I like uh, good conversation. I don't know if that has something to do with it, but uh, I enjoyed my time there. And uh, got to meet, meet a lot of people. I uh, got some friendships, uh, developed some friendships there. Um, but it was uh, a great time for me where I was gaining experience. It was a tough time, but also I was trying to have fun with it. And there, there especially, you have to come to the rink with a positive attitude. And it's not easy, not easy uh, sometimes, but you have to try to come and be positive because it rubs off on people. All right, Todd, so uh, this begs the question, and I know you probably get at, get asked this every summer, but you just won a championship, so uh, your name's obviously going to be out there and, and has been out there. Um, can, can you shed any light on what possibly could develop for next season? Are you, are you hoping to jump into the NHL? Would it have to be as a head coach? Uh, I mean, there may be things going on that I know you can't talk about, but uh, <laughs> you know, as the media guy, i got to ask that. So is there anything you can tell me or any aspirations you can share? Well, you know, it's uh, a situation where there is a vacancy in Arizona uh, that happened Thursday night and then also on Friday my, my phone was blowing up and right now it's all speculation. I have not talked to Arizona. Um, there's been a lot, a lot of tweets out there that thinking that it might be, um, but as of right now I have not heard from them, but if it does present itself it's something that I'd like to explore. Um, but that's all I can really tell you. It's uh, one of those things where my phone rings great. If not, uh, I have one more year left my contract with Grand Rapids and I'll just move on. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I know everybody listening is, is pulling for you for to be successful next season again, no matter where you are. Todd, it's great to catch up with you. You've always been a pleasure to deal with. Congratulations again, and enjoy the summer. All right. Thanks a lot, Reed. Have a great summer. Thanks a lot. Todd Nelson, always great to talk to him, head coach of the AHL champion Grand Rapids Griffins. Could he be? in the NHL next season, but you heard him say it. He has, uh, he has not talked to Arizona, and he does have a year left on his contract with Grand Rapids, so he'll be fine one way or another. Good to hear from Todd. You can text 630-630 or open line 780-496-0063. Jared texts the 80, says, tell Todd he deserves an NHL team. Well, I think a lot of people feel that way. Ian Herbers with some thoughts on Claire Drake going to the Hockey Hall of Fame. He's coming up after the 6.30 news. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 6.30 Chet. From your Edmonton Oilers, you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chet. All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. He's got a text here to 630-630 from Paul. He says, uh, if dry, is Dreisaitl open to being offer-sheeted on July 1st? If so, why would Euler management foolishly leave that possibility open? Why couldn't they have started contract negotiations earlier so it could come to a closure by July 1st? Well, I mean, look, this this is generally how it goes. I don't think they've done anything foolish here. Uh, they, the deadline was uh, 3 p.m. Mountain Time today to issue 
Uh, a qualifying offer to restricted free agents. Dreisaitl is one of them for the Oilers. So now the Oilers have the right of first refusal or draft choice compensation should the player sign an offer sheet with another team. But that is not going to happen. As Peter Shirelli said, he's not worried about a predatory offer sheet. And he said if we happen to get one, uh, we would match it. Leon Dreisaitl is going to be an Edmonton Oiler. you got to remember, too, this is one of the few times in a player's career where he has some sort of power in in the negotiation. I mean, obviously, uh, unrestricted free agents have the most power. Uh, but Leon Dreisaitl and his agent have some power here. I mean, he just had a huge season. He's going to get a large raise, so I don't think they're necessarily just going to jump at the first thing that the Oilers uh, put in front of them. But uh, I, I don't think anything, you know, haphazardly is being done here by the Oilers, and there is zero chance he's going to be with another team next season. So I hope that puts your mind at ease, Paul. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Claire Drake going to the Hockey Hall of Fame. I definitely want to talk about that and a couple of other things with our next guest. I'm pleased to welcome to the show Oilers assistant coach Ian Herbers. Ian, thanks for making time for me. How are you doing? Good, Reed. Thank you. Yeah, very busy day, busy weekend uh, with the draft. Uh, you guys made some trades, uh, made a couple, uh, I guess, re-signings. I, I, I want to talk a lot about Coach Drake, obviously, but Zach Cassian got a new three-year deal today. A guy, you know, who was once vilified in Edmonton has become a pretty popular player. You know, give me a sense from a, an assistant coach's standpoint of, of what he uh, adds to the team and uh, why he was able to fill his role so well this past year. Well, I'm excited he's back, uh, especially for a three-year deal here at a good term. Um, he brings a lot of energy to the game. Uh, he's changed his role from when he first came into the league. He was expecting to be a, a high top two-line scoring winger. Uh, but now he's filled into that third-line role where he brings a lot of energy and, and bought into being a PK guy with his speed and his uh, hockey sense. Uh, getting on to pucks quickly, playing in behind defensemen. He's been very effective on, on that side of it. And when he's on the ice, other teams seem to be aware when he's on just because they don't know if he's going to run him, he's going to chirp at him, uh, odd time of fight. Um, so he's a good guy to have on our team. Chris Russell was re-signed before the weekend as well. Uh, I, I know you're busy coaching, so you're not uh, on Twitter and reading websites all the time, but th there is a section of the fan base who uh, weren't happy with the signing, but a lot of people thrilled to see him back. Uh, for some reason, uh, Chris has been a bit of a dividing finger, uh, uh, figure uh, with fans. Give us your sp perspective of what he adds and maybe some of the things you see not just on the ice, but also behind the scenes from Russell. Well, uh, great character, low maintenance, uh, good in the dress room, fun to be around. Uh, just his playoff series this year, he, he battled. He was competitive. He competes, uh, lays his body out in the line for the team. The amount of shots he's blocked, uh, sacrificed himself, uh, taking big hits, giving out some big hits uh, just to help the team win. Uh, so having a guy like that at the back end is huge. I thought him and Sakara played very well together. I thought uh, he's good on his offside. There's not many defensemen that are good when they play their offside. Uh, they struggle at times, so having a guy that can flip to his offside, especially a right side where we're short right-handed defensemen, uh, is a huge plus. So when you can bring guys in like that, character can fill up and down the defensive pairings, uh, seems to play well with anybody. Um, it's a good person to have on, on your lineup. All right, good good answer for sure. Chris Russell back with the Oilers. Zach Cassian back with the Oilers. More on 630Ched.com. The big story today, Claire Drake, is uh, finally going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. 
uh, the part of the 2017 class. The actual ceremony will take place in November, but, but the announcement was made today. Look, everybody in Edmonton and area knows it's it's long overdue. Um, so I don't want to get too much into that. But but you your first experience with Coach Drake was as a player. What was he like to have as a coach? Why do you think it just it worked so well with him behind the bench? Uh, probably the passion. Um, he loved coming to the rink. He wanted to get better every day, even though he was the best or one of the best coaches in CIS hockey. Uh, he wanted to keep improving, and he wanted to share his knowledge. I didn't know this before, but Ken Hitchcock was my midget coach, and, and Ken used to go to Claire Drake to watch uh, Coach Drake uh, run his practices and talk to him afterwards and just talk hockey and the ideas that he shared with other people, uh, other coaches, uh, making them better as well. So just uh, there's a number of things that he brought to the table, uh, but probably the big thing is the passion and wanting to get better and change. And when he shared that information, it forced him to think about new ways to do things as well. So I think that made him better as well. What were his practices like? I mean, especially at the, at the university level where you have pretty much a two-to-one practice-to-game ratio. You can, you can win a lot of games through, through preparation and all that kind of stuff. I mean, were his practices uh, taxing? Were they competitive? Were they maybe more cerebral? What do you remember about that? Uh, very detailed. There was always purpose on what we were doing. Uh, we were improving as players. We were improving as a team. Uh, so depending if it was power play, penalty kill, or individual skills, we were always working on something. We just weren't going out to shoot pucks around uh, and get, a, I guess, a flow practice, as some of the players like to call it. Uh, we were out there to improve. Uh, he used the ice well. He incorporated his coaches. He got everybody active. Uh, we never were on the boards or the goal line doing down and backs in the old school conditioning skates because he incorporated into his drills our conditioning as well. Uh, a lot of battle, a lot of compete, uh, a lot of on individual pride uh, and accountability. So uh, he was very good, very positive, very passionate. Ian, you became a coach yourself, obviously. I mean, you were coaching the Milwaukee Admirals. You, you came back to Edmonton to coach the Golden Bears. Now you're on the Oilers staff. What was your relationship like with him as as you became a coach and got into that part of your career? Because I know he was someone you could still talk and still do talk to and, and run ideas by, but how did that relationship look as, as you got into the coaching world? Well, I definitely talked to him when I was in college and I was doing my third and fourth year practicums between him and Billy Moore's uh, great resources for myself. Uh, obviously, I took a little hiatus from the coaching side of the game. Uh, but when I came back to the Bears, uh, that's one of the first people I got in contact with again and had a chance to go see him at least once a month if possible, maybe every other month, and just talk about hockey. And then I made sure he was around the team, uh, the current players, and they got to know him. So I had him come in and talk to the players, had him come to the bench when the guys were on the ice, uh, watch practice, talk to the guys at practice. Uh, and he came to a number of our games and sat up in the Bears' stand so he had a chance to see. Uh, he actually called me every Monday uh, especially if I didn't call him, um, just to check in, see how the weekend went, uh, my thoughts, and he wanted his thoughts on it, so he's following along all the time uh, and getting the updates. And it's the same thing now that I'm with the Oilers. I go in and see him once a month or every other month, and it's the same thing. We talk hockey, and it's very sharp. Very, He's still like he was in his 50s, um, wanting to talk about hockey, share ideas, and wonder if we're trying this or we ever thought of doing this. 
Um, so very good resource for myself. And like I said earlier on, a guy that loves to share share the information. Was that you that told me once again when you were coaching the U of A, like he would still, if you'd meet him for coffee, he'd still drop a play on a napkin or have a sheet of paper like he was well, always thinking? Yeah, yeah that was, uh, it was my first national, so it was my first year back. Uh, going to nationals, and so I, well, Stan Marple was the GM, obviously. Uh, so I called Billy Moore's and Coach Drake and asked if we could just talk, just so I could see if there's anything I'm missing about going to nationals, anything I need to be worried about, uh, consider, and on and on. Uh, so we met at a Tim Hortons on the south side, and the four of us walk in there, and when all of a sudden, the next thing you know, four hockey guys sitting together, and you get talking about plays, and then we got talking about face-offs. And then coach said, hold on a second here. He pulls out a folder. He's got hockey rinks, diagrams, pencils for everybody else. So out of the four guys there, he was the only one prepared, again, to, to talk about hockey and draw plays up and, and have a good discussion. So he was at that point in the 70s and, and still ahead of us, or I guess early 80s at that point. Yeah, well, that that's incredible. I just want to ask you one more, Ian. You mentioned he would come to your, your practices and just stand on the bench, maybe address the team. And look, none of those players were were born when he was coaching or maybe you might have had a couple that were barely born when when he was last coached the u of a but everybody knows who he is what, like, what would he say to the players because i know he doesn't want to step in there and, and try to step on your toes and, and coach them but what would he say to the team and what would the reaction be uh, i guess it'd be more about the program and everything else the tradition the history the guys that have gone through uh, the work th- that he's done and uh, the players and other coaches that have gone through there uh, and how they enjoyed it and how it being a family and it's something with them for the rest of their life. Um, so even though most of those guys weren't born when he was still coaching the Bears, uh, they realize it's the rink's named after him and, it, and it's for a good reason. And uh, So he made sure he, the guys, the current players knew that and got to know him a little bit and had a chance to meet him, at least talk to him a little bit face-to-face. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Ian, I know how important he's been to you. And like I said, it's long overdue. He's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame at the age of 88, but I'm glad that that it is happening. Hey, Ian, thanks so much for your time. And uh, thanks a lot for talking some Oilers with us as well. I'll see you soon, okay? My pleasure, Reed. Thank you. That is Oilers assistant coach and former U of A Golden Bears coach and player Ian Herbers checking in tonight. Claire Drake, you could, uh, we could do a full day worth of programming on his accomplishments and uh, and stats uh i mean here's a big one 697 wins 296 losses 37 ties he is the winningest coach in canadian men's university hockey remains that to this day 645 inside sports on 630 ched the edmonton eskimos are one and oh one of the heroes from saturday's game brandon zilstra coming right up this is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. All right, we have a trade tonight in the NHL. Mark Mathot, a few days after being traded by Vegas in the expansion draft, has been traded to the Dallas Stars. So Mark Mathot from Vegas to Dallas. The Stars get a second-round pick in 2020. And the rights to goaltender Dylan Ferguson, who was just drafted by Dallas in the seventh round on Saturday. 194th overall, Dylan Ferguson playing the last couple of seasons with the Kamloops Blazers. So Mark Mathot, 
goes to the Dallas Stars. That's your NHL trade for the evening. Free agency coming up on Saturday. Uh, I would think the Oilers will be relatively quiet, but we'll see how it goes as we count down to that. Eskimos back at it. They did not practice today, but they will practice tomorrow. The game coming up on Friday, and they survived a thriller in BC on Saturday. Motion starts. Bowman going left side to right side as Riley takes the snap and drops back. Riley, he wants to go deep. He is going deep. He's got a man, and it is complete and to the end zone. No, just knocked down inside the five is Brandon Zilstra. What a swing in this game. A huge play inside the five to Zilstra. Man, last minute long bomb. 76 yards, Riley to Zilstra, got the Eskimos down to the three. They ran the clock down, kicked the field goal as time ran out, 30-27. Zilstra, amazing in that game. Seven receptions, 152 yards, and I'm pleased to welcome Eskimos receiver Brandon Zilstra to the show now. Brandon, how are you doing? Not too bad. How are you doing today? Doing very well. Thanks for making time for me. And, man, you thrilled a lot of people on Saturday night uh, with a big game and specifically a big catch late in the game. Man, Brandon, tell, tell me a little bit about that play because it was uh, it was tied in the final minute. I think a lot of people were thinking, okay, drive it down and, and get a field goal, and you guys uh, you guys went deep right off the hop. Tell me a little bit about the play. Um, that's just a play we've had uh, in practice, and you know, it looked good in all of our practice looks. And then throughout the game, um, they were they were playing like a man, and they they tended to jump a few of our routes, and you know, they were putting an extra guy over AD. So we decided just to, you know, throw AD uh, straight down the field, watch the safety cover with him, and it kind of left me wide open. Um, so it ended up working out perfect. Well, I'm glad you brought up the effect of a Darius Bowman because, you know, by his standards, he didn't have a, 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 you know, a huge game in terms of the numbers. But what effect does he have out there on every play, and how does he sort of change things for the other receivers out there? Well, I mean, it's a Darius Bowman. He's he's going to attract attention. You know, his, his numbers speak for himself from last year. Um, and so I don't know if teams are thinking, you know, now that Darrell Walker's gone that we can just double-team him and stuff. But, I mean, if you do that, you kind of see what else we can do. Uh, you know, we have we have five capable receivers that are able to make a play at any single time. And, um, you know, and we got John White back there, too, at 100 yards. So, you know, we have a really well-rounded offense this year with a lot of different weapons, a lot of different ways we can go with it. Um, I, I'm really excited to see what we can do this year. You know, i got to ask you, on, on that play, you got tackled at the three, which uh, worked out well because you guys were able to kick the field goal as, as time ran out. And some people were wondering if BC should have taken longer to score their touchdown uh, at the other end of the field. Did did it ever cross your mind, oh, maybe I should go down at the one and we can kill the clock? Or are you just thinking end zone in that situation? Well, if I tell you that, I mean, it's going to make me sound better, but no, I never thought about that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, I mean, I I knew we had about 40 seconds on the clock, but, I mean, when you get in the open field like that, that's something that kind of, goes to the back of your mind um so i wasn't really thinking about that but i'm definitely glad that did happen that just made it that much easier to ice the game and everything we didn't have to put our defense back on the field and you know put their uh their really explosive offense um so it ended up working out for for us uh but i have got a lot of a lot of uh trash talk from a bunch of the teammates being like you must really not want to score (laughs) 
because I had that happen like two or three times last year as well, where I get down at the one and then John White would just punch it in. Right. Well, it was a really big play. Brandon Zilstra joining us on Inside Sports. Big game for the Eskimos in their season opening victory on Saturday night. Late field goal, well, right at the end of the game to knock off the uh, the BC Lions. You know, you mentioned John White, and I, I was I, uh, I was in Chicago uh, at the NHL draft, so I watched the game yesterday on PVR. I've moved on from VHS mm-hmm. tapes, believe it or not. So John White, <laughs> I, I look at him, and I'm like, okay, his running stats are, are always pretty good. But I noticed how many times he made a big block to keep Riley upright or to help out an offensive lineman. Do you get to appreciate, I know you're outrunning your pattern, but do you get to appreciate that, what White does blocking-wise? Oh, absolutely. That goes. That doesn't go unnoticed. Um, that's something like even in our team meeting today, um, Coach Moss had you know a few clips from the game of stuff, you know, it was either a turnover, penalties, or just like great plays. And he always makes sure to put John White on there because John does all the little stuff right. And that's what just makes him the complete back that he is. You know, I, I consider him the best back in the league because um, he, he is able to pick up, you know, these linebackers, these DNs and stuff, and he's not afraid to put his, you know, put his nose in there. Um, you know, he's, he's not the biggest, biggest guy, but he, you know, has the mentality of a, starting middle linebacker and he's not afraid of anybody he just wants to make sure everybody knows you know that he's there and that you're definitely going to feel it once he hits you Brandon you joined the Eskimos last year. You, you didn't get into a game until later on in the season, and you made a pretty big splash. And, and you know, I think people have high hopes for you this season. Give me a comparison of your comfort with being an Eskimo and with the CFL game as compared to one year ago. Uh, it's, it's, I don't want to say night and day difference, but I mean, it's fairly close. Because um, last year, you know, last year it was. It was a long, long, patient process, you know, sitting on the practice roster. But I knew once I can go in and just do exactly what they told me, you know, good things are going to happen. That's what ended up happening for me. But this year, um, just, you know, knowing the offense already, knowing the guys, having chemistry with Mike, uh, having chemistry with AD out there, um, it just made everything just more comfortable this year. And so now this year I'm able to focus on, you know, more about what other teams are doing to try to stop us. I can look deeper into the game kind of and just – you just get a better understanding now. Like I'm starting to learn, like Mike's reads. Like, okay, it's you know it's this coverage. Now I know I'm not going to get the ball, so make sure I go take out this guy for, you know, our little under route or something like that. So it's just, just like the little aspects of the game that I didn't really even think about last year that I'm able to pick up this year, which just makes it makes everything a lot easier. You just you just understand everything now. How would you categorize yourself as a receiver? Because when I first saw you last year, I, I, thought, I thought to myself, I wonder if he's going to be a guy who can catch a five- or seven-yard pass and, and then you know, get the yak and run for 20 after he catches it or, or find a seam and add on some yards. But obviously, you know, in the preseason and, and clearly on Saturday, you, you can go deep as well and, and get a lot of yards just straight through the air. Do you consider yourself a deep threat, uh, a possession guy, or or do you just say I just go where they tell me and go catch it? Uh, that that's about it. I kind of just do what they say. Um, you know, some plays are designed for you to make one guy miss and then try to you know make make an explosion play, and then you know every once in a while they're not afraid to uh, you know just kind of throw one up and just give you a chance at like a fifty fifty ball or something. 
So um, I, I've been fortunate enough to get a little mixture of both this year. Okay. Well, home opener coming up on Friday against Montreal, so you get to play in front of the Edmonton fans. Uh, w- w- I'll ask you this, a non-football question to end it off with. Uh, what have you learned about uh, about Edmonton, or what do you like about Edmonton now that you've been able to live here for about a year? Um, I-, I love this fan base out here. You know, they're, they're loyal fans. They, you know, they kind of understand what... I think they understood that we came off to a slow start last year and they, I think they kind of understood that you know we're all just adjusting to the new coaching staff you know the new playbooks and stuff like that and they're patient with us and we're there when we really needed it at the end and when we went on that little run um, and so you know we, we have a treat for them this year and I'm, I'm excited to show show what we got okay well we're excited to see it Brandon thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it and have a great game on Friday night yeah thanks for having me Brandon Zilstra checking in. Seven receptions, 152 yards. Uh, Duke Williams, four receptions. He had just over 100 yards and a touchdown for the Eskimos. John White, who we talked about in that interview, 17 carries, 104 yards. Very valuable as a blocker. Tight game. Came down to some mistakes and some big plays. I think the Lions made just a couple more mistakes. I mean, they negated a punt return touchdown with a penalty. Their kicker missed a field goal, missed two extra points, though Armando Sewell made a play on one of them by blocking it. And then at the end of the game, the Eskimos pull it off going for it. Zilster described the play. Bowman drew double coverage. He breaks into the free. They, into the free, they get down to the three, and they kick it to win. That was the good stuff for the Eskimos. The bad stuff, J.C. Sherritt. He will be out for the season with a ruptured Achilles. Corey Jones is going to fill in in the linebacking core. By the way, how about uh, Adam Konar on the weekend? He was great flying all over the place making tackles. He's filling in for Corey Greenwood, who uh, had the ACL injury in the preseason. Head coach Jason Moss will be in studio with Morley Scott from 7.30 to 8 tonight. Zach Cassian back with the Oilers. Leon Dreisaitl, one of four Oilers to get a qualifying offer as a restricted free agent. More on 630Ched.com. And Claire Drake at long last going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Another one of his former players and now a coach himself, Howie Draper, coming up after the 7 o'clock news.